Welcome, truth seekers all across the fruited plain. I'm your host, Kim S. Anderson, bringing you Civics Made Simple. Hashtag we are exceptional. These are bite-sized civics lessons designed for you to take and share wherever you go. These are important times. Times that American citizens like you and me need to know how our rights came to be and the responsibilities that go along with them. Well, hello guys, how are you? This is Kim Anderson, and I am here with another civics lesson for you, civics in all, for all ages. How are you guys? I missed you. Um, I am ready to give you this really, really cool lesson that just flows right along with um, some of the previous lessons that we've done. And once again, we're taking our civics lessons from uh, Alpha Omega Publishers um, and their civics lesson, which, you know, is about uh, grade seven through 12. And we're just moving right along into um, uh, moving right along through their their civics lesson. And so this is actually the last lesson in book one. And no worries, we'll be moving right on into book two. But this final lesson um, is about the great compromise. And so it truly was a great, great compromise. And so um, I'm happy to be able to share this with you today. I know how you guys want me to get right into the lesson. And I appreciate that. And I'm going to do just that. Um, it's not going to be a long lesson, but it will be very, very beneficial for you. I'm just going to turn this up. Yeah, just to make sure you are hearing me really well. And it's coming through loud and clear on our sound. And so we titled this lesson, The Great Compromise of 1787, and, and it truly was a monumental turning point um, in our nation's early history. And what had transpired prior to this was um, that the Articles of Confederation had been signed in um, 1781. I'm just checking my notes are like right over there. So I'm just checking my notes um, of 1781. And in our previous lesson, we talked about some of the weaknesses of the Articles of Confederation in that the federal government that was established and it needed to be established. But the federal government that was established just really didn't have any teeth for enforcement. And states were just like not paying any attention to um, the requests of the federal government, one of them being, you know, the desire for a strong military that represented all of the 13 states at that point, colonies slash states. Um, but the states didn't really feel like they needed to enforce that. And it sort of left the, the, the new burgeoning federal government without any real teeth. I think one of the other things we talked about um, was the lack of a federal currency. That just didn't exist. You know, states were still using their own currencies and deciding whether to use one from one state to another. And it just, you know, it just wasn't working. So they got back together in the great city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. What a great place, you know, for the founding of our country. They got back together in Philadelphia um, in July. Good month for us in our country. Right. Um, they went back to Philadelphia in 1787 because they realized the states realized they had to hammer out some differences because the country just couldn't survive um, these beginning phases if they didn't have a stronger um, articles of confederation. And so 
um, they needed to have something with a little more teeth. And so they knew that this meeting in Philadelphia, um, just as important as it was in 1776, when um, the founding fathers declared our independence from England, this meeting um, in 1787, turning point, true, true turning point for our country. So let's go through the lesson. Um, and I think what I want to talk, start, start off with in the lesson, um, is it was, this was called the constant. I got it. I, I, my phone is backwards. So normally I have the camera to the left. So I'm always looking over here, but today the camera's to the right. So if I look a little crazy, that's why, but I'm going to focus over here. Okay. Um, is that, you know, this was a really contentious time, you know, um, People were jockeying, the states were jockeying for authority and, and power and who was going to get what. And um, you had some states, some really strong states, um, like the great Commonwealth of Virginia, a really, really strong state, one of the, the largest states, one of the most powerful and influential, influential states because it was the resident of George Washington. And he just carried all kinds of clout Um and the proposal that they were giving and that they were bringing, um, you know, I'm getting ahead of myself, but you had lots of statesmen that were here at this meeting and it was, it was really powerful. And they were, they were a lot of these, these influencers were on opposite sides. So let's pick up the story. Hang on. Let's pick up the story. Um, one of the first things they did when they called the meeting to order was guess what? They made General George Washington the presiding officer. And what they did when they did this, really what they did when they did this, was um, they made sure that there was someone who was a supporter of a strong national government. Now, here's what you, here's what, here were your factions, okay? You had a faction of states that were strong central government. Like they wanted the government to be really, really strong, the, the federal government to be really, really strong. Then you had your groups in the middle who, who, who weren't quite sure. And then you had your smaller states who, who were more states' rights. And they kind of wanted things to stay the way they were. And they were okay. They wanted the states to sort of operate as an individual, almost mini country, um, and not grant that much authority back to the federal government. So they, so you had, you had a strong central government and those, those states were Massachusetts, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and South Carolina who wanted a strong central government. Then you had the undecideds and those were Maryland, New Jersey, Delaware, and Connecticut. And the remaining states, you could call them the small state brigade, but you know, they were like, you know, New York, New Jersey, um, New Hampshire, they were like, no, no, no. We want the state's rights to stay just like they are. And so here they come, you know, who's going to be swayed by which, by which delegation of, of states and how are we going to move forward in this burgeoning country because we don't have a way or, or connection of leadership um, from the federal level going forward. But the first thing they did was name General George Washington the presiding officer. And why did they do that? Because he was respected 
by everyone on both sides who wouldn't respect George Washington. Hello. Like he's the revolutionary war hero. He's, he's the guy, right? Like whatever side George is on, like it's pretty much going to be the right side. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody who didn't respect the general. So that was a smart move to make him the presiding officer. Because, you know, if you if you've heard or read about his personality, you know, he wasn't he didn't appear. This was Prince, but he didn't appear to be um, he appeared to be a humble man, not someone that flaunted his power and authority and his influence very lightly. Like he he really took the the responsibility um, graciously of the power and the authority and the influence that he had been given. And so what an amazing move to make him the presiding officer of the Constitutional Convention. And I wonder if if it had been someone else, would we have ever gotten this great compromise because he was so respected on all sides and all factions. And so we had a couple of plans that got presented. Um, And I want to say that one of the things I want to say that the lesson mentioned is that these meetings in Philadelphia were actually done in secret. Because they did not want, um, I guess, if you could imagine, they didn't want the news crews, you know, overhearing the debates and the conversations. And they didn't want the things to get out that they were discussing because these were some serious issues. Um, and so they were done in secret. Like the, the, they had guards in front of the doors to make sure that no one could come in once they went in these chambers, you know. So it was it was really you know, they, they were really taking and I think feeling the weight of what was at stake here. Like, are we going to actually have a country that moves forward or are we going to flounder and just be a group of states that are on the same landmass? Right. So a couple of states, a couple of the factions presented um, a couple of different plans to the body. And one of them was called the Virginia plan. And the, 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 the smaller states looked at the Virginia plan. They called it. Um, they called it King Stork. You know, they called it the, the big state plan, you know, because it seemed to benefit the larger states. And so here's a, here was the Virginia plan. Now, mind you, this is to this is to establish the federal government. I'm just getting over cold. So I'm like crazy thirsty. Hold on. I'm so sorry. OK, so here was the Virginia plan. Um, the Virginia plan had. Um, in the legislative branch had two houses. Um, representation was based on population. Okay. Um, that would be the lower house. And then the upper house was chosen by the lower house. Um, and the legislative branch had veto power. All right. The, they also created a judicial branch that had veto power over um, the legislator, legislative branch, and they had an executive branch that had veto power. Once again, they're, they're using the checks and balances. Um, the executive branch would, would serve a single term. Um, and the Virginia plan also had an amendment to this, this, um, uh, confederation document, which would come to be known, of course, as the constitution, not a small thing. Um, but it had an amendment provision in it. Okay, so we have two houses. We have two houses, an upper, a lower, the lower based on population. Um, 
the upper would be chosen by the lower, which is an interesting sort of twist. And once again, the legislative would have veto power, a single term executive branch with veto power, judicial branch with veto power and amendments to be made um, to this upcoming created constitution. Okay, so that was the Virginia plan. And the small states were like, "Eh, you know, okay, here's our plan. So they all had the New Jersey plan. And so um, William Patterson of, of the great state of New Jersey presented the small state plan. And here's what they presented. Oh, I'm so thirsty once I start talking. Mm. I'm so sorry. Okay. The New Jersey plan. They wanted one house. Just one house. Can you imagine that? Just one house. Um. With the representatives, though, being chosen by the state legislatures. Interesting twist. Um, they thought that the executive could hold multiple terms, um, but they wanted the executive chosen by Congress. They wanted the, that one house to be able to choose the, who would be the executive. Interesting twist. They also wanted a judiciary. Um, they wanted it to be a national judiciary. Um, with rulings binding on all state courts. Once again, another very interesting twist. And so they put these two plans together. And I'm, I'm so grateful because think about it now, how our, how our legislature is like, they're so polarized that they would not have had the, uh, the wisdom or the fortitude to look at both plans and to see what could be uh, agreed to on both plans as opposed to just throwing both plans out, which is like kind of how we are now. They just don't even want it. One side doesn't want to consider the other side, but here you have these States and they actually looked at these plans and said, what would work? What won't work? Let's see what we can put together. And what they put together was called dun, da, 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 the great compromise. Um, and it was also called the Connecticut compromise. I'm guessing that there were some people from Connecticut that hammered this thing out with the big States and the little States. Um, because as it was, and I think what they wanted, they wanted it to be unanimous. Um, because once both plans were presented, you had seven, seven states that, that favored the Virginia plan and six that preferred the New Jersey plan. You could pretty much guess, go right down the line and see which states, the big states like the Virginia plan, the small states like the New Jersey plan. Okay. Okay. Let's come together and come up with our, our own plan using these two very innovative thought processes. Because if you still imagine guys like these, these two forms of government, even though one was a big state plan and one was a small state plan, they had never been done before. So they're both still being very innovative in their um, thought process as to how the country can go forward. So let's give them all credit for that. They actually came up with some ideas through debate, through discussion. I'm sure it was like, but they came together and they brought these plans. And then they, once they looked at them, they could see that they weren't so far apart. And so what happened was that they came up with what was called the great compromise. Now see if this looks, sounds familiar. We have a lower house. This is the great compromise. This is the constitution. Hello, somebody. They have a lower house and it is based on population. The lower house also originates taxes. And I guess that came from, from that meeting and the lower house would have a two year term. The upper house would be um, selected by the state legislatures. 
We might need to go back to that. Um, and they had two votes, votes per state and they were allowed a six year term. Now, isn't that interesting? The state legislatures would put in those people that would come to be known as U.S. senators. Um, and I believe it was the 17th Amendment to the Constitution that changed that and said the people in the states could vote on who the U.S. senators would be. I'm thinking, we, you know, we might need to go back to the state legislatures voting on who goes to the U.S. Senate. Right. Hello. Um, and that's where people that's sort of like where the term statesman came from, because you came from that state. You were voted on by the people in the state legislatures to go to the U.S. Senate. 17th Amendment, I think it was back in 1913 that they they ratified that amendment and said, no, the people the people now have enough of a emphasis um, and are aware enough to be able to directly vote for their U.S. senators. And so that provision was eliminated. Um, so let me see. Um, so when they reached this agreement, let me give you a date. The Great Compromise um, was adopted on July 16th, 1787. And we know that from there, um, there's a couple of other things that happened, but they, and they agreed on a, um, so this was the birth of the constitution on July 16th, 1787, the actually, actually the constitution as we know it. Um, and so they, in order to ratify or make a change to the constitution, that's when they agreed that it would take a nine state majority to ratify. <laughs> it's not so funny. Nine states, man. Nine states to ratify a constitution to make it the law of the land. So there you go. The great compromise that actually birthed one of the greatest documents in human history, the United States Constitution. What men, what vision to um, to hammer that out, to come together and come up with a form of government that had never been done before. Now, we all, we know, we've studied in this first book, um, you know, all the influences that led Thomas Jefferson and George Washington and John Adams, you know, the influences that got them to this point. But my goodness, it's two years after this that this is ratified that George Washington, I think, is 1789. I think so. That's when George, I could Google it, but I'm on my phone. So blah, blah, blah. But I think that's when he becomes the first president because this has now been ratified and implemented and it has become the law of the land. One of the greatest um, documents done in human history, the United States Constitution, hammered out by some amazing men in 1787 in the great city of Philadelphia. So, guys, that is our great lesson today because I, I said so, right? But that's our great lesson on the Great Compromise. And so I hope you will stay tuned as we move into book two of our civics lessons. And um, I'm just really, really thrilled and pleased to be a part of um, just spreading civics, this message um, across our, our, our great land and our great country. As we will be starting book two um, in our next video lesson. So stay tuned for that. Um, if I had it with me right now, I'd tell you some of the lessons that are coming up, but I think you're truly, truly going to enjoy it as we start to move forward. We went through sort of the history of how the country began, but now we're going to start to see some things that are familiar to us. Like, you know, like really familiar, like we can put our hands on it. Like we end book one with 
the Great Compromise, which became the, the Constitution. And now we're going to see that document being implemented in the years moving forward. So I'm really excited about where we're going. Kim Anderson signing off. God bless you guys. I'll talk to you soon. See ya. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Civics Made Simple. This is your host, Kim S. Anderson, inviting you to visit our site, kimsanderson.me.me, for the latest and most up-to-date information on our podcast and our store. Follow us at hashtag WeAreExceptional on Instagram and Twitter. God bless, and we'll see you next time.